So we are uh, desirous to put the right emphasis uh, upon our educational ministries so that we can minister to our own church family. Look with me to chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel, and we look at an interesting portion of Scripture. The Bible says in verse 25, and you can remain seated, in verse 25 of chapter 14, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth, uh, and, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever... He be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear let him hear. When we began our study this morning, we began to point out to you some uh, significant things that have to do with what real discipleship includes. We have learned, and I will not go back and re-preach this morning's message, but we have learned that uh, discipleship is, uh, and being made a disciple of Jesus Christ, can be and is the most precious experience one can ever experience. I give God the glory that he saved me and he's allowed me to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has made me a disciple of Jesus Christ. And let me just remind you that our Sunday school program and all other outreach programs are not just education, but they are also evangelism. And if we evangelize the lost and win them to Christ, the Great Commission tells us in Matthew 28, we are to disciple them and make them disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we have spent a great deal of time talking about this introduction to the book of Luke chapter 14 where Jesus gives instructions concerning the cost of discipleship. Notice verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me. This is where we started this morning, and I want to continue with this and finish. We have learned that the gospel being given by the Lord Jesus Christ was given in a lot of different ways. You remember when he was with Nicodemus, he made an analogy and pointed out, you must be born again. And uh, the Greek means to be born from above. The idea is to experience God-giving life, being born again, being regenerated, or God-giving life to the lost sinner. We also saw that uh, the woman at the well was witnessed to as well. And it was interesting when he witnessed to her, he told her that he would provide her with living water. I just want to point out to you that later on he would tell them if they'd come to him, he would give them the bread of life. It's significant that we understand coming to Jesus is synonymous with being saved or born again or receiving Christ. So when we receive Christ, uh, we see him become a disciple. True discipleship is a personal relationship. I believe that it's important that we learn that uh, this thing of salvation is coming to know God. Our churches are filled with people and the crowds were following after Jesus. And as they were following after him, the Bible said there were multitudes of them. I... Uh, stood uh, uh, this week researching and checking out this portion of scripture and the multitudes here and I was impressed with the fact that throughout the word of God the Bible tells us in many places even in the days of Moses and then also coming through in the New Testament to the days that men followed Jesus there was a reference to a mixed multitude let me share this with you. Uh, some people go to a larger church, and I'm glad for them if they have a larger church. I heard Dr. John MacArthur make this statement, if you set out to build a large church, you probably never will. But if God sovereignly puts it in your life that he will raise up a large church, then that'll be a blessing. And he said, that's what happened to us. He said, we had no intention of trying to build a super church. God just grew the church on the preaching, teaching the word of God. I believe that's the way it is. However, a lot of people go to the larger churches to get lost in the crowd, to hide. You remember the story of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. They came out of the garden realizing that they were naked. And by the way, uh, they were not a nudist colony. That's stupidity. For Adam and Eve from creation were clothed with the glory of God. And as they were clothed with the glory of God, they did not have any shame or did they sense any sight of nakedness as we think of it today. However, 
when they sinned, their nakedness appeared unto them. And what did they do? They went out and put fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. But it didn't stop there. They hid themselves in the trees. You know, it's amazing how people clothe themselves with religion and get right in the middle of a church somewhere and they will try to hide. Well, let me just say this to you. It, do, do, it does you no good when you stand before God. For one day you will stand before God. And uh, God came walking in the cool of the evening and he sought Adam and he asked Adam where he was. And Adam told him that he had covered his nakedness and that he was in the trees hidden. Let me just share this with you. Uh, this thing of our relationship with Jesus Christ is one where we have to be forthright and honest with every area if we're ever changed by the grace of God. You know what our problem is? We'd rather live a lie than to be honest about our nakedness and our sinfulness before God. So the Bible tells us that the way one gets deliverance and help is that he uh, receives the drastic message from God. I don't know about you, but I was 13 year old when God saved me and it got real drastic before I got saved. I was under deep conviction. The Holy Spirit was dealing with my heart and, and I've shared this testimony. I'll not go into detail with it, but I remember plowing and uh, I would go down into the lower land closer to the water and we would be plowing down there because uh, it had long and straight furrows. But let me just say this to you. When I was plowing, I was under such a deep conviction that I couldn't keep my attention on what I was doing. And uh, I'd leave the tractor running and I'd run into the woods and beg God to save me. I remember rooting in pine straw. I remember begging God to have mercy upon me because God was revealing to me that I was a sinner and needed a Savior. And I want to say this to you. This uh, blessing is that the Holy Spirit of God, when he starts bringing a sinner to himself, he first reveals to him through the Word of God that he is a sinner. Now I want to share with you that the words that, in fact, I uh, this this point, which I'm not going to finish, but I will give some of it. I entitled a shocking invitation. <laughs> God, in these verses, the Lord Jesus told his disciples and all of them that were in the multitudes, which was a mixed multitude. Come follow me. The interesting thing is it was a free offer of the gospel. He was giving opportunity for all that were in that number of multitude uh, to come follow Jesus himself. And the Bible tells us, and it's an interesting part of the thing, the Bible tells us that he used three negatives in the process. Uh, there was a uh, presentation in one of the classes that I had when I was in uh, uh, 
college, Bible college, and I remember what they said. They said, some folk just don't know how to approach people on salvation. Uh, they would say, you don't want to be saved, do you? <laughs> You're not interested in God, are you? That seems to be the approach that a lot of people take. You heard uh, the difference in the fellow that was sent to Africa to sell shoes, and, and he had a partner that was supposed to go with him, and the one said, I don't need to go to Africa. He said, why, they don't even wear shoes over there. And the other guy started jumping up and down. He said, that's the very reason we need to go sell them some shoes. You know, it's a matter of attitude. Some of us sometimes do not understand that approaching lost sinners should be in a way that we give them hope. In fact, it's all the way through the scriptures. But then I think it's significant that Jesus, when he approached them, you and I would say that's the negative way. You don't say to somebody if you don't love me more than your mom and your daddy and your brothers and sisters and yea in your own life also and material things, he said you cannot be a disciple. In other words, he pointed out the negatives first. You say, why did he do that? To shock them. To shock their system. Let me just say this to you. We need somebody to get back to this approach of evangelism. We would say to them, if you're not willing to sacrifice all and wholly follow after Jesus Christ, you cannot be a disciple. And yet we have a generation that's trying to make it so easy that everybody can be a disciple without change. There'll never be a true disciple of Jesus Christ that's not changed by the grace of God. When they are changed, they're changed from within out. So salvation is by grace through faith. And what's interesting here, Jesus is giving an invitation, a free offer of salvation, but he says to them, there's some requirements. You're going to have to hate your family as compared to your love for me. You'll have to hate. You'll have to hate possessions and things Yea, in your own life also, if you're going to be my disciple. You and I know that salvation is fully by the grace of God. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he is calling them out to follow in the way of salvation. We talked a little bit this morning about the fact that salvation is referred to in the book of Acts as the way we also talked about the fact that the scriptures tell us that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, but narrow is the way that leadeth unto life in Christ Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew's gospel, and I want you to look at chapter 7 with me for just a moment. And it's amazing how again and again the Lord Jesus, in his giving the gospel, uh, gives it, in such a way of clarity, there is no mincing of words. Jesus said, you either totally surrender, totally submit to my lordship, or you cannot be my disciple. 
in chapter 7, I want you to notice with me verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And look at this expression. And many there be which go in thereat. The multitudes were following after Jesus. But he says over and over in other places in the scripture, including right here in Matthew chapter 7, which is uh, 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 a clear presentation of the fact that most are going to hell. Look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Look at this. And few there be that find it. Are you listening? The Bible tells us that many will be destroyed for they will choose the broad road. But he says here only few shall find the narrow way. I was reading many years ago uh, J.C. Ryle's book uh, on uh, uh, sermons that he had given on the gospel. And one of them was titled, Few Shall Be Saved. Most folk are looking for a way out. And let me just say this to you. It was a great day in their lives there in Luke 24, excuse me, 14, and Luke's gospel when Jesus meant no words. He was clear, straight up. He said, if you're not willing to be totally surrendered and submitted to my lordship, you cannot be my disciple. Now, we're living in a generation that we want to put everybody in heaven. If they come down the aisle and receive baptism, we want to call them saved. I believe that if people are saved and born again, again, I'll say it, they'll have a changed life. And they'll have a passion for the Word of God and the things of God. Truly born again, children of God are never satisfied to go to heaven alone. Born-again believers want others to go to heaven with them. So they have within them this new desire of giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Let me take just a moment and look at the groups here, and then I'll be done for tonight. What makes up the mixed multitude? Well, certainly there are some of the elect of God or some of the uh, true disciples of God that are found in this multitude, for Jesus will call out the twelve. Uh, that happened in Mark chapter 3. Uh, it happens here in, uh, and also uh, here in uh, Luke four, 14, and also in Matthew chapter 7. The idea is that God has... Uh, some disciples, some that will wholly follow after him, some that will follow him. And uh, when he gives the invitation to come, they come out and start following after the Lord. Few shall be saved, though it says. Secondly, there are those that are not only found in there as a part of this mixed multitude, I'm sorry, that are... Uh, excited about the fact that they are a true disciple and want to follow Jesus. But there's also those that have 
questions. They're curious. They come out of curiosity. Uh, they just come to see what's going on. You know, a lot of people go to church to see what's going on. They're not interested in being a disciple or a follower of Christ. They're just curious. Uh, multitudes came to see him heal. I love the illustration of the the woman that had cancer. And uh, she had spent all of her money trying to find healing. The Bible says, and the crowds were thronging around Jesus. And the Bible said that this one little woman said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment. Let me just say this to you. A lot of folk are curious. Some are called, but a lot are curious. And let me just plead with you to understand, you've got to move from curiosity to desiring to hear the call of God and following after the Lord Jesus. Because true disciples have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is real to them. And uh, the Bible teaches us there are those that are curious and they, they go, but they do not necessarily want to wholly follow after Jesus. And when he says to them, you can't be my disciple if I'm not preeminent in your life, let me go on to point out to you, there are also those that are calloused and indifferent like Judas Iscariot. Here was Judas Iscariot among them, and he was faking it really well. He had everybody convinced that he was saved. The only one that knew he wasn't was the Lord Jesus. You say, Pastor David, what are you saying? Make sure that you're not a counterfeit. Make sure that you're not just curious. Make sure that you are called of God and you've wholly followed after him. And you've said, Lord, I want this relationship with you, which is real. So here in the scriptures, we see that there is a mixed multitude. There's other areas that we could look at. But I want to say this to you. It's very important that every man understand God does not save masses. He saves individuals. You must be born again in singular. Uh, you cannot depend on somebody else's conversion. I remember years ago, Harlow and Peggy Vaughn were part of our church. and Harlow said uh, to me, he said, Preacher, why is it that I feel more comfortable at church with Peggy? When I'm here with Peggy, I don't feel conviction as bad. Why do you think that is? And I said, I don't know, brother, but I'm telling you, you must be born again, and you need to hear the gospel. Well, the time came. She's going to leave and go to take care of her father. And I remember as she was leaving, she came by at the church and said, Pastor David, I'm going to be gone. Will you please prayerfully consider going by and talking to Harlow? He needs Christ as his Savior. I remember I said it in my heart, said a day, and had it settled that I was going to go by and see Harlow Vaughn. I went by that day, and I opened the Word of God to Harlow, and he was very open to me. I talked to him, and he said to me, 
He said, Pastor David, I'm in bad shape. I said, I know that. I'm glad you're beginning to see that. Then all of a sudden, uh, he said to me, I'm in a deer stand in the woods, deer walking around all under me, and I'm under conviction so bad that I'm just sitting up there in a deer stand daydreaming and wondering what's going on. Let me just say this to you. That day, I pled with him for his soul, and old Harlow fell out on the floor. I mean, while I was uh, trying to give details in the gospel, he was already on his way. He fell out on the floor. He began to cry out to God, to God to save him. And, and that day, God saved Harlow Vaughn. Uh, just uh, last year, year before, I preached his funeral. And what a blessing it was for Harlow lived for God. But then, Harlow, God moved in our church in a revival meeting, and, and uh, Harlow calls me in the middle of the night. And he said, Pastor David, uh, Peggy and I need to come visit you. I said, okay. He said, right now. I said, okay. Uh, come on, because he lived just down the road from me. Here you come driving down the road to meet me, and I got out of my pajamas and got into my clothes, and I was waiting on them. I opened the door, and they came in. And here's what Peggy said. Pastor David, God's shown me in this meeting I'm lost and going to hell. Now, I want to share with you, Harlow was depending on her for his comfort, and she was lost. You know, we don't see God saving in the masses. He saves individuals. And you need to be born again. And I want to say this to you. You better not be depending on mama's prayers and mama's Christianity to carry you to heaven. You need to experience the saving grace of God yourself. How do we explain the, the contradictions here that were given by the Lord Jesus. He said you must be uh, submitted, surrendered to my lordship or you cannot be my disciple. It looks like a contradiction. Now, I plan in the next studies that we have together not to go into detail tonight, but I want to say to you, if you do not have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not a saved person. Is God alive to you? Do you find meeting with him at a set time of prayer where it's just you and the Lord? It's a good thing for husbands and wives to have devotions together, but you need to have them by yourself too. By yourself, you can't pretend there you can't be a hypocrite when you're the only one in the closet you can't go uh, too far with this concept God wants us to know that we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ Jesus said come follow me the whole blessing of real salvation is communing with Jesus Christ and loving him personally we love him because of who he is. We not only love him because of who he is, we also love him for what he's done for us. Worship comes out of that. 
And let me plead with you to understand it all begins with our coming to know Jesus Christ. I guess this is the thing that was so heavy upon my heart when I was studying this week and praying. My thoughts were how many in our church fellowship may be here that know nothing about knowing God and having a fellowship with him. If you don't know God and you don't have fellowship with him and he's not real to you, you don't have what the Bible talks about in salvation. Why did he give the invitation? The call went out, come follow me. Now we're going to see in our studies as we're going along that Jesus oftentimes called his disciples away from the multitudes and went into a secret place, just Jesus and his disciples. And they communed with one another. Uh, there's nothing like it in my life when I get up in the morning early and it's designed. I get up uh, not because I have to, but because I want to. And I get up and I start early, most of you, that ever been around me much know that this morning I was up at 4.30. You say, why? I learned that that's the time that God speaks to me clearly. 4.30, 5 o'clock is the time for me to be up. And I get up and I sit before the Lord and I pray and I read his Bible and I ask him to be real to me. Did you know some days I'll read and it feels like nothing's happening. And then the next time, God will move into my old big recliner in the living room, a great room, and it's me and God. And I want to say to you, you can have such a living relationship with Jesus Christ. You can know him. Look in your Bible to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, look at chapter 17. In chapter 17, we have the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in the first five verses of this prayer, he prays for himself. And in verses 6 to 19, uh, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then what's glorious in verses 20 to 26, he prays for me and you. You say, what are you talking about? We're the disciples that will come. Notice, if you will, in verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now, over and over throughout the Gospel of John, he will say, my hour is not yet come. He is now saying, My hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he said, You have given me authority. And he says, I pray that you will allow me to give eternal life to as many 
as thou hast given me. Look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. Now you want to know what salvation is. And you know what eternal life is. Here it is. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And then he goes on and prays the Father to glorify him. This prayer was prayed just before he went to the cross of Calvary. Now listen to me. He said here, and this is eternal life. What is it that is eternal life? That they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This word knowing God here uh, is an interesting word. It's gnosko. The idea is to know God intimately, to fellowship with him. Uh, the word is used to define a relationship between a husband and wife, an intimacy. And from that intimacy comes fruit or children. Let me just say this to you. There will not be any production of fruit in our lives nor our church if we don't have an intimacy with Jesus Christ, that we know him. Let me plead with you to understand salvation is coming to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. A lot of folk know about God, but very few folk know God. And those that do know God have what he defines here as eternal life. And it doesn't stop there. It continues all through your life physically. I'm 76 now, and somebody said, that's, uh, that's not old. It's not unless you're where I am, and it's feeling a lot older than it used to. But the important thing is that I point out to you, he's just as real today as he was when I was 13 years old. God is real. And you can know him. If you don't know him, then you do not have salvation and eternal life. What would Paul say later on in Philippians 3.10? By the way, it's my life verse. That I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. I want to share with you the aged apostle of Paul. The Bible tells us, he said, that I may know him. There is a passion to continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The next time we come together, I want to point out to you that coming to know God is the beginning and once you become to know him you will want to grow in that relationship and it gets sweeter and sweeter every day and one day we enter into his presence and we see him face to face you say pastor what is it knowing god my question is do you know god i think sometimes we're so busy preaching our sermons and teaching our messages that we fail to just stop 
Ask the congregation, especially our young people, old folk too. Do you know God or you just know about him? Knowing God is eternal life. Experiencing him in your life is eternal life. Heavenly Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to take these simple truths and speak clearly to our hearts. Let us know that eternal life is communion and fellowship with the living God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're alive unto us. Now, Father, we do know that the Word of God in Daniel 11:32 teaches us, They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Will you not let us, Lord Jesus, know you in eternal life, know you in fellowship and communion, and know you that we might produce fruit for Christ's glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.